Let's start tonight with some prayer. Dear Lord, we just, uh, as we look at your, your word and uh, how important it is to us and for us to understand that. So we ask this tonight, even though we're going to go fast and, and as an overview, I just pray we, we get understanding and get a sense of who you are, Lord, and, and why you wrote this book and how you communicate to us through your word. And we thank you that you're a God that reveals things to us and not, not hides things. So uh, just give us your understanding. Help your Holy Spirit just to guide us tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you probably already know, Genesis was written by Moses. Okay, that one, Mark already told you that. And when uh, we used a format, or Brett designed a nice format, and when I put the first date in, when I sent it to him, that's the date it was written, but nobody knows exactly. And I started thinking about that, and it says, that doesn't mean much to me. I don't know about you. And so I looked up, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, the patriarchs here, I was looking at that, and I go, wow, it's so long ago. Uh, Abraham lived from 2166. You don't have to write this down, okay. 2166 to 1991. Now, that's so far, it's backwards, first of all, because it's B.C., it, it, it doesn't make sense. And so probably the best way to look at this is that when you look at the patriarchs, it was about 2,100 years ago when they first started, when Abraham started. So that's a long time. And then you got then Jesus, then then you got BC when when or AC BC, whatever in the between, when when Christ was born. Actually, 30. Some say different times. I won't go into argue that. So we're about 2,000 years later now. So you got about 4,000 years between us and them. Although I think you'll find. Uh, as Mary mentioned, I liked her commentary on Genesis, that Genesis is really interesting. The more you get into it, the more you understand these are real people. Uh, these aren't just uh, fables or myths or just theoretical uh, algorithms uh, or somebody's theory. These are actual live people that God chose for his reason and he set up and all the things that happened to him uh, were under his divine sovereignty. And some of the things are a little harder to understand because they're not so good. Some of the things are great and you go, this is really good. So that's where I like the Old Testament specifically because it gives you a real application to your own life. You can identify some of these characters. Uh, maybe you can identify other people and say, he, he's like such and such, okay? <laughs> so you can do that if you want, but I, I, hopefully a little more introspection. So uh, we know it's about, well, it was written around 1200 BC. That's just a long time ago. The purpose though, is to show, and I wrote that down, I didn't want you to miss this, to show God's dealing with the patriarchs. And we're only gonna deal with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And those four men and their wives and their, their children and stuff, are, they develop what we call the patriarchs. It's, it's actually a key to us today, uh, our salvation. In other words, this is how God, remember last week we had the fall, okay? Now this is God's solution to that. Now he's going to solve it. And none of this is by chance. It's, it's very critical you understand that because as we go through some of the details and so all of a sudden you'll be reading through Genesis and you go, gee, I read this before. Yeah, the dad did it. Oh, now the son does it. And you go, those of you who read it probably understand, okay? And yeah, it happens that way. And it's a real warning to us as parents to be careful what we do because it may repeat on our kids, both for good or for bad. Let's uh, see. Uh, the, the theme, it's God's plan for salvation through the patriarchs. 
or I like to say it's how Israel came into existence. The fact that this is God's plan for redemption, and he set this all up in advance. Now, I gave you the um, kind of an outline there, the patriarchal history. And I hope it helps you. Abraham is 12 through 24. It's broken down pretty easily that way. Uh, and just for a couple of notes, I want to give you some um, oh, perspective here. Abraham lived 175 years. Isaac lived 180. He didn't smoke. No, I don't. I don't know if he smoked or not. Okay. And Jacob lived 147 years, and then Joseph lived 110. Now, I don't know what you can read into that other than I wanted to get you a feel that when they talk about the ages in here, you realize, oh, Abraham at 175, wow, he's probably more like me. You know, it's like now, and, and, and it's his his. 90, 80, or something like that was probably more like 35. So it's not quite the same. So you need to have a perspective of that. Abraham, what, is, what does everybody know about Abraham? What do you, the first thing you think about Abraham, you think of? Father Abraham. Father Abraham, okay, that's good. You've been to Sunday school? His kids, yeah. What was the other one? Faith, there you go, okay, thank you. Who is that back there? <laughs> that was the right answer. There's a lot of good answers. And do you realize that Abraham is revered by, obviously, the Christians and the Jews and the Muslims? Isn't that pretty amazing? I mean, think about that. Can you get those three religions and get them to agree on anything else? And you couldn't. But you can, they can agree on Abraham. And I think that's pretty amazing in itself. Um, then you go to uh, Isaac. Well, well, let's see. We'll go through those in a minute. Maybe what I, I'd like to do is then next thing is to look at this, the genealogies, and feel free to write on them if you want. And I'm only starting. Uh, mine's multi-page because I went back and all that. Uh, if, if you really need that, I can show it to you later. But I started out with Terah, and that's really where we're starting out today. Actually, in uh, Genesis, uh, actually, we're starting to, let me see, 1131, and it talks about that. In fact, let me go ahead and read that. This is just uh, the tail end of the, the last chapter of Genesis, and we're getting into chapter 12. It says, Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from the Ur of the Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now, you got the son of Haran, and you got the place Haran. You go, what's going on here? You know, is it everybody names them? Well, that's, that's true. And I asked somebody if they could see this before, and I realize you can't. But I want you to get a rough idea. Uh, you can see here's the Mediterranean. Okay, you don't have to look at detail. And then here is... Uh, the Persian Gulf down here. Okay, this is where the oil goes through and that. You're probably familiar with that. Okay, you've got that. This red line is the line they, they think of where the era of the Chaldees is here, Haran is up here, and Israel is down here. So basically it was a long trip. It's actually, uh, Haran is about 600 miles northwest of the Ur of the Chaldees. So you go up 600 miles. That's a long way when you're doing camels and, and walking. And then it's about a 400 miles northeast down to Canaan. So you go up and down. And why don't you go straight across? Because there's desert there. It's one of the most desert 
places in the world, except for maybe troops, who knows what's there now. But I wanted to get a feel kind of where what this is talking about. This is not going uh, from Greeley to Evans, or even Greeley to Johnstown. I, you know, that's, that's a long way. So just a little perspective there. And then we get into, well, let me, let me have you look at the chart here. As, as we look at, um, you've got Terah as the dad, okay? Then Abraham, he had sons. He had Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now, Haran is both the name of the city and the guy's name. Now, something was wrong with Haran. For some reason, he died. And you look down here underneath him, and he had three kids, uh, Milcah, Iscah, and Lot. A lot I can pronounce. The other, I'm not sure. So don't, don't hold me for any of those. So this is where Lot comes in. Well, the key is, so basically if you look at this line here, Abraham was Lot's uncle. Okay, so it's a simple relationship there. Well, if the dad died, it was nice of Abraham to kind of take care of Lot. I mean, you might do that in your own family. So that's not unusual. But then you come down and you see Tara, Nahar, and Milka. They, they had some strange names back there. And all that we've got Uz and Buzz and Kimmel and Hez. <laughs> Those are the ones that were meant. And you notice Abraham at that point, if you keep on the same line, had no kids. Now, Abraham, the name means exalted father. Now, that's a pretty nice name. Abram, excuse me. Uh, he changed his name. God changed his name later on. But right now, he's Abram. Abram, and Abram means exalted father. Well, guess what Abraham means? I'm sure some of you know. Father of, father of nations, father of the multitude, father of many, any way you want to look at. So when, when Abram would go introduce himself to somebody, he'd go up to John and says, hi, my name's father of multitude. And John said, oh, wow, how many kids you got? And he'd say, well, I don't have any. And you go, mm, okay, you know, it's like, what are you, a fluke or a fake? I mean, this, and this, this is, you got to remember, he started it in when he was 75 years old. Okay, now at 75, even at that timeline, he's going to live another 100 years. By then, you normally would have kids. Okay, so, uh, so that was kind of uh, troublesome there. Then you go down, let's go a little further. And you've got, uh, well, let's go to Sarah first. The ones in bold are the important ones, okay? Hopefully you can see that. So you got Sarah, and then Sarah had Isaac. Okay, but before, remember what happened. Where did Hagar come in? Where did, where did she come out of? Do you know where she lived? Sarah's slave. A slave, yeah, but where, geographically, she came from Egypt, right, yeah. She was from Egypt. And why, was, why did they have to go to Egypt? Because there was a famine, right. So uh, should they have gone to Egypt? Probably not. That wasn't a good thing. Okay. But you see Sarah, okay, and then Hagar. Well, let's go ahead and finish Hagar. Hagar had Ishmael, and then he gets blessed too. That's a whole, I won't go into detail on that today, but as Mary said, if I can quote her, it's really interesting because it really is. You see Hagar, who's this slave, just think she has to go along with, with Sarah all this time. And she's her handmaiden and all this stuff. And I don't know how they worked that. She didn't have her own husband, her own kids. And she could be a concubine, which is not exactly your high position. I mean, women weren't treated that well back in the, this time. 
And Hagar had a life of servitude. Now, she was provided for, so you think of guaranteed food and clothing and all that kind of stuff, but you didn't get to raise your own kids. And in this case, she would have raised Ishmael, and then basically she gets banished, which seems unfair. But if you read it, you see what God does, and I'll leave it up to you. you, can, you can, I'll tease you with that. Because you really need to look at that, because you learn something about God, about his compassion. And I think all the way through Genesis, we, we focus too much on the people. And you really need to understand who God is. And it's really about, this, I'm God. Now, I'm pretending I'm God now. Okay, I'm God speaking. I'm not any, by any sense of the word. Okay, but I, I didn't think you had a problem with that. But if I'm God, I said, hey, I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to tell it through people, and I want to show you what I'm like. So I'll show you good people, and I'll show you bad people. I'll show you good times and bad times, and I'll show you how I interact with these people. And that should give you a little different perception of Genesis. And I think it really helps because you start going like, what's this going on? Oh, wait a minute. Stop. Hold on. What did Mike say? Stop and think, what is God trying to show here? Is it one of his attributes? Or is it, he said, hey, this is a timeout. You shouldn't be doing this. I told you not to go to Egypt. Guess what happened when you went to Egypt? Okay, you stepped in it. It's all over your shoes. Now what are you going to do? Okay, and God doesn't leave you there. Let's go on to, uh, oh, and go over to just straight across the line there from Isaac. I, should I said that plus Rebecca? That means they got married. Isn't that nice? Very romantic. But you go over one a little further to the right, and you see Rebecca. Okay, now she is a cousin. So you've got Tara, then Nahor, and Milka. They got married. And then he had all these kids, and then there's Bethuel. And he had two kids, Rebecca and Laban. And if you read through Genesis, you found out about Laban. Now, is anybody, what, what, is, what is your opinion of Laban that somebody's read through? He's a good neighbor. Was he the kind of guy you want in your family? No. He's the kind of guy you want to stay away from, right? Yeah, that's Laban. And, uh, not good. But uh, Laban had kids, too. He had Leah and Rachel, which is interesting. And you go over here further, and you go, gee, Leah and Rachel show up again. So like I said, if you look at the chart, you start realizing, hey, they are really a lot of interrelated people. Now, you got to remember, this is back. This is only, let's see, it's only about 400 years since the flood. Now, that gives you a whole different perspective, doesn't it? God wiped out the whole civilization, and then, then he had to start over with Noah, and here we're only 400 years later, and we're going to find out there's problems already. And you go, but you can probably identify with that. You look around our world today. So let's see. We go on a little further. Uh, go down from Jacob, and you notice I said Jacob plus. This is where it gets interesting. This is where, if you like soap, boxes, uh, soap operas and stuff like that, uh, you'll really like this, because you had, Leah was his, his well, his, his first love was Rachel. So Jacob wanted to meet Rachel, and that's, you really need to read that chapter, because I think it was chapter 24, because it, it's really, it, it's, if you like romantic things, and I think it's love at first sight, and God <laughs> ordained all this, but if you have a brother named uh, Laban, he's going to mess things up, and he wanted to get rid of his older daughter, Leah, first. And no offense, Leah. And I've heard all sorts, I've heard all sorts of re, uh, description on she had um, soft eyes or delicate eyes. I don't know if she had bad eyesight or she wasn't good looking. I don't know what it was. But for whatever reason, 
Rachel was the one that, that Jacob loved, okay? And if, if you look back, uh, Abraham basically only had one wife at a time, and then he, all of a sudden Hagar came up. That was his wife's idea, too, okay? Mm -hmm. You knew that. Uh, not a good idea to always follow what your wife says. So you, you're the head of the house. You need to, to figure that out. Okay. Um, we have to learn as we go along. But you, you see, you've got Leah and Rachel. So those are the ones, the two, uh, two sisters that he married. And then you get into all this thing about, well, Leah had kids. She had Rumid, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Right off the bat, she is super fertile. And in this culture, this is, this is the perfect wife. I mean, every time you turn around, she's going to have another son, not a daughter, but sons. This is really good. Well, as you know the story, Rachel didn't have kids. She was barren. And it says in there that God caused this. And you go, well, why would God do something like that? And that, that's really troubling. But you need to think about that. Okay. And you can see, obviously, I have Joseph underneath, so she eventually did have kids. Uh, but then you go on a little further, uh, you got Iskar, Zebulun, and Dinah, and you go, where did they come from? Uh, well, they, well, Leah did have those later. She had a, a period of where she stopped bearing kids, and so she decided, hey, uh, oh, well, let's see, I think Rachel did it first. Rachel had Zilpah, her uh, handmaid, become the concubine, and so she had two kids, Gad and Asher. So these, this, is, this was totally accepted in this culture. Now, I don't know, can I see a group of hands? How many women here would accept that? Okay, I don't think so. Yeah, so culturally, we got to remember this is not at all like our, this is several, 4,000 years ago. And this is the way things were. Uh, but so anyways, she gets the idea, Rachel and Zozilpa gets with, with is a concubine. This is legal. This is okay to do. It's culturally accepted. And so... Uh, Jacob's going along with this, and he goes, we got two more boys. And then guess what? Leah says, I'll do the same thing with my handmaid. Is this cr crazy or what? <laughs> and so Bilhah has Dan and Naphtali, and you go, wow, we're going to have all these kids. And then finally, it took a while, but Rachel finally had Joseph. And guess what? At this time, I, I should have the exact date. I don't have it with me, um, or I probably could look it up. But Joseph was born when, when uh, a, uh, Jacob was much older, and so this was his, one of his favorite kids because it's his favorite wife, okay? I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying the way it is. But Joseph was very special to him. And eventually Benjamin comes along. And if you read further, you know Rachel dies in childbirth when Benjamin comes along. She wanted to name him Ben-Omi, which means uh, son of my sadness, I think. But Benjamin, a good friend of mine at work, was a son of my right hand. I like that much better, and they changed the name. So it gives you, if you haven't read that chapter yet, please jump into that because there's some neat stuff in there. I also included Esau, uh, which go back up to the late non-bold Esau to bold Esau. That's kind of a sideline, just to show of all the kids he had. And you see Eliphaz there? That's the one in Job, which is kind of interesting. And there's some other names, and they don't really mean a whole lot. Are there any questions in that? I want you to get a feel for what was going on. And, and this is where the, 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 the bottom grouping from Jacob, those are where the 12 tribes come from. And you're going to find out, as well as we go through, as Mark, Mark Stu, um, Reuben uh, is, should be, was the firstborn. 
And so he should, and generally at that time period, if you're the firstborn, you got 12 sons, you go, wow, that's a lot. Okay, the first one would get a double portion. That's the way it worked. Well, guess what? Reuben messed up. Does anybody know what Reuben did? Yeah, now can you imagine getting, oh, can you imagine what's going, now, now you got to remember that Reuben is probably in his 40s, I don't know how old the wife is, so the concubine, I mean, it, it doesn't tell us that, so we don't know. Now, Jacob and Rachel are probably close to similar ages, I'm assuming, that's a big assumption, but as far as the concubine, I mean, Rachel could have had these, these handmaids with her, and they could have been 10 or 20 years as they're younger. I don't know that for a fact. So the fact that Reuben took advantage of that was messing around with the concubine. Who knows with when you have four wives, you're asking for trouble to begin with. So and you can quote me on that. So um, I'm not waiting. I'm losing my my train of thought here. Um, let's see where was. Um, Okay. What did I just? I'm lost something. Okay. Well, let me try something. Else. Let's let's look at uh, Genesis 12. So open your Bibles. I think you got enough uh, overview of the overview. How's that? Is there such a thing? Does that really feel high? If anybody gets nosebleeds, there's tissues in the back. If it gets too high for. <laughs> that was a bad joke. Okay. All right, starting Genesis, uh, we read Genesis 11, the tail end of it. Then we go to Genesis 12, 1, 1 through 4. Just those four verses, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, notice it's Abram, not Abraham, Go to a country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Now let's stop right there. How many of you have any hands that had the Lord has said something to you, go to a country? Is anybody? Nobody? Wow, I haven't either. Okay. So you're all right. So that would be unique. I think, uh, and I don't hold me to this, but I think God either spoke or appeared to Abraham somehow in visions and stuff. I think it's six or seven times. I, I lost count. I, I, was, I got up to a certain number. That makes him a very unique individual. Who else was like that in the Old Testament? I heard it. Moses, Moses yeah. So, so that's, that's very unusual. So what is God saying? He says he wants him to move from the Ur down here, pick up and go to this other land. Now this is where all his family is. And this is a really nice area, especially at this time. This is a nice, this is like, you've got good temperature. Well, here's the Mediterranean. So it's on about that latitude. It's probably very fertile all along here, the Tigris and Euphrates. What do they used to call it? The Fertile Crescent. So this is like, why move? You know, you're living near the beach or whatever, and it's nice, and the weather's good, and you've got family and all this. But God says, no, he wanted to move because, guess what? Abram, or Abraham, whichever way we look, was an idol worshiper. That's what his family did. That's what everybody did. That was this, this standard thing. But God picked Abraham, and he wanted to move. And guess what? Abraham did it. That's the part that amazes me to pick up. But was he really that obedient? He, it says in one of the, the, the New Testament, I won't go into the detail there, but it talks about that where he was originally, God told him to go from the Ur of the Chaldees. But what actually happened is Terah moved him. Terah moved him from the Ur of the Chaldees to Haran. 
Now, I don't know if that's the same Haran that his, his son was named or not, and they named it after him because he died. Uh, I didn't see anything on that. But they moved to Haran, and they stayed there. I think it was about 20 years. So he was kind of obedient, but he wasn't completely obedient. And so I want you to understand that Abraham was not perfect. God didn't pick somebody that was perfect. You know, he looked at all these people and said, that's the guy that's perfect. No, he wasn't by any means. We're going to see that later on as he gets down in, uh, as he comes into to Shechem in that. Uh, but let me go ahead with, with Genesis, because this is, this is important, this 12th chapter, the beginning. These are promises of God. He said, uh, he wants you to move to this land that I will show you. So Abraham doesn't even know where he's going. And then God says, I will, and that's important, I will make you, what, a great nation. Second, I will bless you. Third, I will make your name great. And fourth is, you will be a blessing. And then fifth, I will bless those who bless you. Ooh, in this part, uh, actually the ESV says, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. I like some of the older versions said, those who curse you, I will curse you, you know. Uh, so in other words, this is what God is saying. And then it says, all in all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Does anybody have an idea of how they could be blessed? That includes us. How are we blessed? Through Christ. through Christ, exactly, the Messiah. Okay, this is all through Abraham's line. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So that's when he left that kind of midpoint. Uh, then in verse 7, skip down to verse 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, this was a, a trademark of Abraham. Abraham, where he went, he did two things. He pitched his tent. He never built a house. He pitched his tent, and then he built an altar. That speaks to us about two things. Abraham, if you look in Hebrews, it talks about that. He wasn't looking for an earthly city. He was looking for a heavenly city. And so he continued to dwell in tents. Now, culturally, that was a thing to do. But he could have, there were cities there in this other, the, the land he was going to. He could have moved into a city, but he didn't. He was always in a tent. And that speaks to us as pilgrims. The fact that he was, he was obeying God, trying to follow what God said. And who knows? God would move. He moved around a lot. He, he got into, uh, uh, let's see, he started in, uh, I did write that down. He started in... Uh, in Shechem, he built an altar there. Then he went to Bethel, which is only about 20 miles south. Then a little further south is Shechem. A lot of bad things happened there. Then there's Bethel, he went there. Then he ended up being in Hebron, which is a little further south. And finally, Beersheba is about the very southernmost. That's right down here where it says Canaan. It's, it's, you go any further and you're into the desert. So it's a desert climate, but Anyway, he liked it around there. So he stayed. He was a southerner. Can I put it that way? In, as far as Israel goes. Um, but if you look at these promises that God had made, can you imagine that? He's telling you, you're going to make you a great nation. You don't have any kids. You're 75 years old. He wants you to pick up and leave. And he, he will bless you. Obviously, you hope that's a good idea. And then make a great name. And you think about that. All those three religions I mentioned in the beginning only Abraham is, is honored by them. He does have a great name, and you will be a blessing. But this, this uh, third verse, I will bless those who bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. We need to be careful when we elect people. 
are they, the, the, what is their stance with Israel? I don't want to get political, but be careful because it says this hasn't been revoked. If you mistreat God's people, his chosen people, now you can argue with God for choosing these people. Good luck. Job tried that. It doesn't work, okay? I, I just wouldn't go there. Um, but in other words, it's important to see that if you do things God's way, if, if you bless Israel, okay, God will bless you. If you don't, if you do the other way around, he's going to curse you. And you look at all the different societies through history. Even the British not too long ago had Israel and the things they did. Each nation, the Rome, whatever it was, that took advantage of the Israelites in whatever term we call Jews, whatever, Hebrews, whatever that is, all of them have fallen. And guess what? We could be next. So, I mean, just think of that. So, I know you have to consider a lot of things when you vote for somebody, but that, to me, is a real important one because it's, it's still in the scripture. Um, there's a lot, I've got homework for you. This is easy homework, okay. This isn't too bad. When you get a chance, look in Joshua 24, verses two and through four. And these are just look up and you find out, this is a New Testament commentary on Abraham. Okay, and I think it's interesting. I won't tell you what it is, so you gotta gotta look it up. There's only uh, four or five verses. Romans 4, 16 through 24. Then Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. James 3, James, excuse me, James 2, chapter 2 and James 21 through 23. And the last one is Galatians 3.16. I think you'll find it interesting. What was Joshua again? Joshua was 24 verses 2 and 4. So don't do it now, please. <laughs> please don't do it now. But let's all together, let's turn to Acts. Uh, oops, I thought I had it here. Let's turn to Acts. Because I always like, this is one of the, this is, you realize, you get a free commentary. Anytime you buy your Bible, you get a free commentary on the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. Okay, that's a secret. Okay, don't tell anybody. Acts, oh, Acts chapter 7. This is, this is where Stephen is martyred. You remember that? Where he goes before the Sanhedrin and they just, they, they pull these creepy guys and they, they say he's blaspheming God. He's not doing any of that. Uh, but anyway, that's what, that's what they're accusing him of. Uh, Stephen is seized, and uh, they call him before the Sanhedrin. So let me just go ahead and read this, because this is God's commentary. This is Stephen. Now, Stephen was a deacon, too. But he was, he was um, let me see. Let, go back to chapter 6, verse 8. Now, how would you like this said about you? I would love to. Well, I'm, don't, I'm not even kidding that. Okay. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose and go on. But how would you like that for a, a, a name? Well, and he was only a deacon. He wasn't one of the apostles. Okay, this is, a, this is an amazing guy. He knew his Bible too. Let's see what he says. Then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The, does, he doesn't answer the question, though. This is typical um, legalese, you might say. I guess courts have always done this. You ask him the question, you answer it differently. I'm glad he did, though, for us. 
The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. That's where you get that part. Remember, that was the era of the Chaldees. That's Mesopotamia. Okay. Before he lived in Haran. See? Um, what Mike's saying is true. You can see right in front of you. <laughs> Leave your country, your people, God said, and go to a land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after the death of his father, God sent him to the land where you are now living, he being Israel. He gave him uh, no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him should possess, would possess the land, even though at the time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way. Your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Does that sound familiar? What did you read about that last week? Hopefully you read that. Did you see the Ten Commandments? What's he talking about, the 400 years? In Egypt, right. Okay, when they were in Egypt, okay. And actually it says another part, they were there 430 years. Aha, there's a mistake in the Bible. No. There was 30 years, it was a good time. The 400 years was the, the slavery. So there aren't mistakes. They're just, you have to read the fine print. Um, uh, let's see. Um, I, uh, where did I stop? Verse 7. But I will punish the nation, Egypt, and they will serve as slaves. Uh, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in, in this place, being the promised land. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. And Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Uh, because of the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph. So this goes on to describe in a nutshell. I couldn't do it, but I think God's word does it so well. And because of the patriarchs, that means his brothers, the, all the, the 11 other brothers, or uh, 10 other brothers, excuse me, Benjamin wasn't even, um, I don't think he was around yet, uh, were jealous of Joseph. They sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So he made him ruler over Egypt and all his place. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our fathers could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. And after this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our fathers died. Their bodies uh, were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamar at Shechem for a certain sum of money. At the as the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Then another king who knew nothing about Joseph became ruler of Egypt. And then it all changed, and that's when they went into slavery. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, kind of gives you the whole summary of what we're, we're dealing with with chapter 12 through chapter 50. Does that help? Okay. Now, there's a lot in there, though. And uh, I really, wow, let's see how much time we got. Okay.
Um, let me see if I can, uh, let's do it this way. Um, I'm going to try and go through kind of chapter by chapter and just give you kind of an overview. Okay. If you have questions, do raise your hand. If you have this burning question, that, John, go ahead. I like the uh, King James Version on the first uh, uh, chapter 12. Mm -hmm. Get thee out of. Yeah. You know, it was a very strong, right. you know, command to, mm -hmm. to uh, Abram. And, and that brings up a good point. Why did God move them? And let me kind of jump ahead. I, I mentioned Shechem, and I said Shechem is bad. Uh, one of the reasons they, they came and they settled in the land, they were in Shechem, or this is Jacob, this is later on. But Jacob's in there in Shechem with all his sons, and he has one daughter. What's her name? Anybody? Dinah. Dinah. Yeah. Dinah's there. So guess what? Dinah and the local... Uh, Shechem, actually here again is the guy's name, his first name I guess, is the name of the city. So his dad must have run the city, whatever. And, uh, but anyway, you know what the, how the story went. He, he basically rapes Dinah and so they get all upset with him and this is not a good situation. And Simeon and Levi, remember those are the ones under Leah, okay, so you have Reuben that, that sinned with his father's concubine. Then we're going to find out that Simeon and Levi, those two, were involved in getting retribution for Dinah. And what they did is they told the man they had to be circumcised. Now, I was circumcised a long time ago. I was little, and I don't remember anything about it. But I've seen it, and I thought, no way. I wouldn't do that as an old man, okay? And for women, you don't understand, and that's all right. But... But what happens medically, you can't do anything when that's done, if you're an old man. I mean, not an old man, I mean, if you're an adult. Okay, so what Simeon and Levi did is they, they talked to him, they connived with him and said, hey, okay, we'll marry your daughters and so-and-so and -so back and forth. You can have our daughters. And they deceived him because they weren't supposed to do that. God didn't want them to do it. He wanted to keep them separate, okay? He didn't want them to be among other idol worshipers. That was the whole reason in getting them out of the Ur of the Chaldees. So they come to Shechem, and so uh, Dinah was messing around with this guy, and then he rapes her. It wasn't her fault, but he raped her. And this was not unusual. And so the king of, of, the, of Shechem there, uh, he comes and he talks to Jacob and says, Hey, my son, sorry. He says, I'll give you the betrothal price of whatever you want. Blank check. Just fill it out, and we'll do that, and then your people will marry with my people. Well, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. That isn't what God wanted. Okay, culturally, that was the normal thing to do. I'm not saying you have your daughters raped all the time, but this, this Shechem, actually, he probably, I don't know if he lusted her, he loved her. He was willing to do anything. He didn't matter what the price was, so they could have probably afforded that, and Jacob didn't want any part of it. Well, Simon and Levi decided they'd have some fun with this, and they end up killing all the men. So they wiped him out. Can you imagine that? I mean, that, that's not a good way to start when you're coming into a new country. But it shows you what happened if they would have stayed in the land of Canaan when they first got there. They would have started to intermingle. So where does God take them? Because of Joseph, okay, now you know the story of Joseph. His brothers were upset with him. I just read that a minute ago. Joseph, uh, his brothers were envious of him, so they threw him in a pit, and then they, remember the coat of many colors? They put blood on it and said, hey, Dad, I don't know, I don't know what, here, here's the coat. I don't know what happened to it. You know, something happened to your, your son. 
And they, he's, you know, it goes nuts. And he says, you must have been killed by a wild animal. And you go, okay. So then the next thing you know, the, the caravan comes by. And the brothers, it's really interesting when you read that person because the different brothers, Reuben tries to save him. Judah tries to save him. But it doesn't work. He gets sold into slavery. This is looking really bad for Joseph. Now, Joseph is the pampered baby at that time before Benjamin. So he's the favored son, and he's probably not used to being thrown in cisterns and taken on a slave caravan. He goes there, and you know the rest of the story. A lot of things happen to Joseph. And in fact, Joseph is kind of a type of Christ when you look at that. He was rejected by his brothers. He was imprisoned. There's a lot of different stuff that goes on to Joseph. His whole life is really interesting. But what I want you to do is follow it all the way to when you get to Egypt, and God had him go there for a reason and at a time and a place. And you think, well, how could Joseph, just a normal Jewish kid that had a neat coat, you know, and his brothers hated him, how could he possibly become ruler, a second in command in Egypt? Now, if you had to make that up, how, you couldn't even do that, could you? I mean, think of that. So what does he do? He sends Joseph over there puts him in as a slave. He works for this guy Potiphar, who's the head of the, he's kind of like the hit squad or the army or the, uh, the execution or the jailer, or whatever. He, he had a lot of power. So Potiphar was a guy with a lot of power. Joseph's there working for him, and Joseph does an excellent job. Potiphar says, this guy is great. I, I let him do everything. Well, then Potiphar's wife decides, okay, he's good looking. It says he was handsome and well-built. So I picture this guy, he looks like, what's that? Um, I don't know, you, you know what they're... Yeah, there you go, excellent. Per, per. That's what Joseph looked like. Now most of you probably think of a meek little Joseph. No, he was, he was handsome and well-built. Anyway, Joseph says, no way, I'm doing this. And Potiphar comes in and finds out his wife's all upset because she's, she's mad because he won't come to bed with her. So what happens? He should have been killed. Uh, Potiphar was actually the head of the jail kind of situation, or the military. He could have just, boom, David, you're gone. I mean, out of here. There's just, it, without any hesitation. He didn't do that. He put him in prison. Uh, you know why? Because he's in charge of the prison, first of all. And second, he knew that Joseph didn't do it. He knew what his character was like. So be the way Joseph lived made a huge difference to his life. Now, I didn't get him in a good position, but it got him prepared where God wanted him to go. God wanted him to go into the prison. Then these two guys, the baker and the candlestick maker, right? No, no, it wasn't the candlestick. It was the, the cupbearer. Okay. I, I got, I'm mixing my stories. I just want to see if you're awake. So anyway, they have dreams. Joseph, you know the story. Joseph said, okay, I know what the dreams mean. The first guy said, this is really good. You know, the, I think it was the cupbearer, wasn't it? He, he got the good story. And so in three days, you're free. Excellent. But the second story was the baker said, well, how about me? And so he tells him the story about the birds. And he goes, oh, that's not too good. In three days, you're going to be dead. And you go, oh, well, let's try another, another dream, a different story. <laughs> so anyway, the first guy gets rescued, and he forgets all about Joseph. So Joseph stays in prison. I forget, it's like 11 years or something. It's a long time. And so he goes through, he's got to serve with Potiphar. I think the whole thing is about 20 years from the Potiphar time in serving as a slave, but uh, as a well-treated slave, and then until he's thrown into prison. And then, then all of a sudden, there's this king, or pharaoh, excuse me, in Egypt, has these wild dreams. 
eating too much pizza, you know. And he's these wild dreams, can't figure out what they are. His magicians can't figure out what it is. And so this cupbearer said, oh, I forgot. God's timing. I know a guy, David over here. No, his name wasn't David. His name was Joseph, and he can tell about dreams. And so what happened? You know the story, okay? So Joseph, so this is how God brought Joseph to be in charge in Egypt. And why did he do that? He sent Joseph ahead of time because he wanted to isolate the people in Egypt. And you go, well, what's so different? Well, the, you couldn't think of anything more different than the Israelites, which are shepherds, and the Egyptians. The Egyptians worshiped everything from flies to frogs to, you know, you, you've seen the Ten Commandments, right? You know, all the different things. Well, that's why the plagues came on them. God was doing that to show Egypt and show the world that he's more powerful than any of their dumb gods that they think they have. And that's why all those, those things happen. So Joseph's there. Uh, he, he takes care of this. He knows, he interprets the dream. The next thing you know, because he interprets the dream, the Pharaoh says, well, who's better to administer this? There's going to be seven years of good time and seven years of bad time. So Joseph's in charge. Then eventually is the famine in the land of Canaan. Now, who controls the famine? God controls the famine. God, God controls the famine. I guess I've got to get that done. The thing. So in other words, things happen. All these things happen for a reason. Have you ever had anything happen in your life that you said, you know, that wasn't exactly what I wanted. You know, this has been a bad week. In fact, been a bad month. In fact, it's been, you know, you can go on and on. I don't want to go into details. Uh, but maybe there's a plan and a purpose for it. And you look at Joseph's life, and it really encouraged me because you go, wow. I mean, he went through some really bad things. He kept a good attitude. There's nothing bad that's said about Joseph in Scripture. Find it if you can. I'll give you five bucks. Travis lost five. Maybe I'll lose five bucks. I don't think so. But, but it shows how God works through, through, through somebody that's, that's willing to trust God and obey him and go along with what he should do. He didn't take advantage of, of Fer, uh, Potiphar's wife. He could have. I don't know. I assume she was good looking. Potiphar was a high-ranking official. He probably had a very prestigious wife. And yet, Joseph didn't want anything to do it. So he was, and he was diligent, even when he was in prison. He could have said, I'm not going to do anything. These Egyptians aren't going to get any work out of me. I'm just going to sit back. No, he was diligent. And everywhere he went, he did a good job. And you go, whoa, that'd be hard in that kind of situation. But eventually, when he was ruling the, the land of Egypt and took care of that, for, he was ruling in place of Pharaoh. He was the administrator. So if you've ever been an administrator, you guys that do all the work that the paper, pusher, paper pushers or whatever, there's a lot to that. And, and Joseph did that. I always liked that because that's what I ended up doing before. So anyway, I want you to see that there's a trend here that God did this, all this stuff with these patriarchs for a very good reason to get his people isolated. There couldn't be more. Uh, Pharaoh was appreciative to Joseph for what he did, but he didn't like the idea of shepherds. It's like, can you imagine living next to, no, do you have sheep? Anybody has sheep in here? Has anybody smelled sheep? Okay, all right. You don't want to live next door to a sheep herder. Okay, they're stinky animals. Cows aren't much better either. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not picking on, no, hey, I like hamburger, you know, I mean. So, but I'm just saying it's, it's, um, it's yeah, it's not good. Where was I going off on that? Um, <laughs> hmm? I'm sorry, Gary. We don't know. Where you're going. I don't know where I was going. 
Well, I'm sorry, I, I, I lost my train of thought here. Uh, but I wanted you to see that the, 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 the plan and purpose of God through this, that all these strange things happened, even at Shechem with Dinah, happened for a purpose and a reason. Okay, now, now if you're Dinah, guess what? You'd probably said, uh, can I opt out of this one? You know, that maybe that wasn't a good thing. I don't know, maybe she was party to, I don't know. We, the, the scripture doesn't tell us that. I'm using that as a bad example, not a good example, okay? But I want you to look at that and realize that God can use anything in your life, no matter what it is, because if you look at these, these lives of these patriarchs, God's teaching us through that if you trust him and do that. Now, Abraham screwed up at times. Remember, he, he, what did he do with his wife? He called her his sister, right? Now, can you imagine getting away with that with your wife so you, you wouldn't get in trouble? So by saying that, he was putting his wife in jeopardy. Now, that might have been all right culturally, but even the, even the, the, the um, various guys he was doing this with, were offended at the fact that they would do that because they had an honor system that if you were married you didn't mess around with somebody's wife now if you had a young daughter or somebody in your, your harem or whatever it was and they're not married to you that's fair game and they could bargain with you for that and that would be all right but uh so so anyway but do you see that that how god weaves that through all of of the, the chapters we're looking at in genesis and i think it, it's really important Let's see if I can go a little further. Um, oh, there's just so much here. Um, in chapter 18 of Genesis, if you remember that section, that's where Abraham had the three visitors. Now, this is interesting because Abraham is, is, is getting older here. Uh, and... Uh, these three visitors come to visit. Now, one of these is probably the pre-incarnate Christ and with two angels. This is just before Sodom and Gomorrah, so if that rings a bell. So this is, let's say my notes here, said the Lord appeared the sixth time. Abraham responds quickly with great hospitality. It actually talks about when they came. Abraham, now he's older, he runs out to him. This is totally, you know, they wear robes and stuff. You're a dignified older man. You don't do that. I'm, at my age, I don't run a lot either, unless it's, it's something desperate. If there's, you know, it's the kid running out on the street or something, you just don't run. Okay. So th this was unusual. And Abraham stood there. You had the three visitors. He told Sarah, you know, prepare the food, and he, he served them. What he was doing is, and he sat there, or stood by the side like he was the waiter and just waited. And so he served. He didn't eat the meal with them. He served them, and then they went on their way. And then, it's interesting how God weaves this in. God says, well, should we tell him about what we're going to do? So Abraham, you're like, what is he going to do? You know, And well, they're going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, who's in Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot's in there. Now, what was Lot doing? You get a whole, when you read through that section, notice how Lot moves from one place to there. He's with, with Abraham, and they're together, and then they get too many flocks. And what happened? They decided they'd part ways, right? So who went which way? That's not a trick. Huh? And it looked good. It was the, the fertile valley in that. And it, if you've been there, I've been in Israel today, and you go where, where they think Sodom and Gomorrah is. It is the most desolate place I've ever been. It's the, end, the southern end of the Dead Sea. And I, I don't even think weeds were growing there. It, I don't know, whatever they were, little sticks and rocks and stuff. And it looks like the land had been totally wiped out. But at this time, when you had a lot in that, 
there was actually a fertile area. And so and by that, that comes, you know what the rest of the story is. God judged that area. But Lot moved on site. Abraham says he can pick whichever way he wants. That's a good way to be in life. In other words, Abraham said, God, I'll let you decide what it is. You know, you cut the cake and let God figure out which one piece he wants first. And then you'll take whatever's left. That's a good way to go. So anyway, he made, that's the three visitors. Uh, and then they went Sodom and Gomorrah. We won't go into that. That's, that's really nasty. Um, for, uh, chapter 22 is another critical chapter. And this is, this is the ultimate test for Abraham. He's waited all his life to have this special son, and he has Isaac. And you know the story, and you, I hope you realize that Isaac was probably at least 30 years old. He was a grown man. And when you actually read through the text, if you just read it carefully, uh, Abraham had to bind him. Well, if Abraham was an older man and, and Isaac was younger, Isaac could have said, hey, Dad, you know, this, this, is, this is carrying things too far. I like going to a sacrifice, but usually we bring the lamb with us. I don't want to be the lamb. You know, you can understand that. But he went along with it. Nobody ever talks about that. And I think that's really, Abraham must have talk, told him, uh, he said, hey, this is what's going to happen. In fact, if you read, I think it's in Hebrews, and I can't give you the exact verse in Hebrews. It talks about that where Abraham figured that God could raise him from the dead if he had to because he was his, the only son he had. So that's how the lineage had to come. So if, if Abraham kills him, uh, Abraham had to believe that God would resurrect uh, his son. That's pretty amazing. I don't know if I could do that. You know, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't. Uh, but luckily, God doesn't ask me to do that. Um, but I have another story you can, I'll tell you later about my daughter, if you're really interested. It's, it, it is applicable in there. Um, but anyway, God proves uh, Abraham is faithful by Abraham's obedience. Obedience is key in that chapter. Uh, he was willing to sacrifice. Uh, and then God, I love this, God provides the sacrifice. Abraham says, he actually says that God will provide himself a sacrifice. Well, that's a prophecy down the road. That is actually the Messiah. That's Jesus Christ. But actually at that time, there was a ram in the thicket. So God did provide in both instances, both the immediate and the future, he provided the actual sacrifice. And then, uh, then we get into, let's see, chapter 24. Oh, this is where uh, they get a bride for Isaac. And he sends him to the old country. Here again, Abraham is trying, and God, and I use God and Abraham interchangeable in the sense that they're, they're the same goal. They want to go to the old country. They don't want to have idol worship there. So they don't want to use the people in Canaan. When they started to intermingle with them, that was, that was not good at all. And it's interesting, if you read chapter 24, there's an unnamed servant in there. Now, the unnamed servant, you go back to chapter 15, his name is Eliezer. And that can mean helper or one who helps or a comforter. And it's, it's actually like a type of the, the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. He's not named, so he wants to keep the low profile. But he goes, Abraham sends, him, sends Isaac to, to get a bride for Isaac. And he goes through all this to, to get him. And it's like, well, what if I get there and I don't find the bride? You know, this is, I mean, he's just a servant. But he's, Eliezer was actually the heir apparent to Abram since he didn't have a son. Let's see. No, that was, no, that was, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confusing myself here. Uh, so anyway, Eliezer goes, let's see. Uh, God leads the servant to the right person, Rebecca. 
is from the Wright family, and she was on that diagram I showed you. You can look in front of you. She, she was actually one of his, I guess, as, as a cousin or second cousin. I don't know. I'm not too good at that. But anyway, she's a relative. Uh, and then Eliezer, when he, when he uh, it all happens in rapid succession. And then Eliezer responds with worship. I think that's really neat. He thanks God for, okay, he blessed his mission. I found the one. And then... Uh, and then Laban shows, I love Laban, he comes in here, this, he shows hospitality, I bet he does. Can you imagine somebody driving up to your house with, I forget, nine or ten camels loaded with, with goodies on them, all sorts of the best, whatever. It's kind of like the, for the bride dowry. And, and Laban's going, oh, wow, who's this? You know, like, well, come right in. Your, hospitality was big then. But I think Laban, if you read the rest of the chapter, you really understand what Laban was like. And, and he deceived Jacob over and over again. He was just a, a rat. And, and it's neat to see how God, that's, that's another place where God takes that. And, and remember the breeding of the, the goats and the sheep and stuff? with the striped thing. I don't understand any of that. I don't do breeding. Where's Bill Bailey? He's, he's a breeder. He knows how to do this kind of stuff. But uh, uh, the fact that eventually what happens is all the Laban stuff goes over to Jacob. And uh, there is, God takes care of it. It takes a while, but God takes care of it. And uh, I think that's, it's just interesting to read. Then we go on to Genesis, let's see, 27. Uh, this is for family dynamics. Oh, boy. Okay. Isaac loves Esau. And he's the man of the, the fix of the game in that. Rebecca loved Jacob, the one that was the mild man that was around the, the tent. Guess what? Both of them were scheming. Okay. Now, Esau was the firstborn. Do you know how many firstborns were not the ones that ended up with the, the double portion and all this? God constantly switched it. What does that tell you about when God decide, God makes the decision, it's not something man does. So anyway, we have a conflict here. Um, Jacob plans to bless Esau, but Rebekah plans to bless Jacob. There's a conflict. Jacob doubts. Uh, can you imagine doubting? Like, well, my, he, was, he was not the hairy one. Esau was the hairy one. And you can imagine he didn't smell the same. And now poor uh, uh, Jacob at this time was old, probably couldn't see well, obviously. He couldn't see probably at all. But anyway, uh, just more and more deception. Jacob went along with what his mother said. So moms, don't do that to your kids. Uh, but she must have been a good cook because she made this special food. She knew how to make uh, a goat taste like this wild venison or something. Now, I have no idea what either one of those tastes like, but it probably was good. Then uh, Jacob... Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, Jacob plays Esau. I say what I was doing. Jacob, he puts on the fur and all that kind of stuff. So he goes along with this ruse. And Isaac, if you look in the text, he doubts five different times. Mm -hmm. And yet he goes along with it because he said, man, the food's really good. Okay. So what does that tell you about Jacob? He, he was old. If you get nothing else, give me something good to eat. I'm, I'm satisfied, you know. Not too good. Like I said, these guys were not perfect by any means. Uh, then he goes on. He blesses Jacob, not Esau. He thought he was blessing Esau. He blessed him with dew. He blessed him with the fertile land, with grain and wine. Uh, nations will serve you. People will bow down. Lord it over your brothers. 
and uh, those that cursed you are cursed, and those that bless you are blessed. And you know what happens next. Esau comes in and he goes, what do you mean you've already eaten? What? My brother? What? what who, who got my blessing? And, and Esau didn't want his blessing, remember? If you look, go back a few chapters. Why? He was, came in hungry and he wanted, stew. yeah, red stew, right? So he was willing to give up his birthright. What does it say? It says in the New Testament that Jacob he loves and Esau he hates. And you go, I'll let Travis handle that one. That, was, <laughs> that one's a hard one to deal with. That's not in Genesis, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, but he, anyway, Esau plans to kill his brother. Uh, Rebecca says, okay, Jacob, you got to flee. And uh, uh, he gets a wife plus a whole lot more. As, as I already mentioned that in the genealogies. Let's see. Um, let's go on a little further. Um, we already talked about the uh, Joseph, the drink. Um, do you have any questions in this area in 29 through 38? There's a lot of strange things going on there. There's some strange things going on with Judah and Tamar. I don't really want to deal with that if I don't have to. Uh, you can read that on your own. It's pretty self-explanatory. Let's see. Uh, Joseph, we talked about a lot. And that's in 39. And then 40, the prisoners. 41, interpretation of the dreams. Um, 42, Joseph's brothers go to Egypt. Uh, that's an interesting section there. Uh, the famine causes the brothers to go, and they're actually tested. Um, well, I wrote that wrong. It's not right. They tested by Joseph. You know, when Joseph saw his brothers come up, now he, he was an Egyptian. Typical uh, Jewish person at that time, probably had the fullest beard, uh, looked like Blackman. You know, on, the, on the, the Rockies, he probably would just fit right in. He'd just walk in there, and you wouldn't notice the difference one way or the other. The Egyptians, just the opposite, very shaven, and they, had, they dealt with makeup and stuff, and they were, they were just kind of sissy guys, whatever. Uh, so so there, was, there was a big difference. Uh, but the fact that Jacob, the way he treated his brothers, he didn't just say, it's okay, guys, come on in. He tested them. And I thought that was interesting. At first, when I first read it through, the very first time I read through Genesis, it bothered me because I thought, is he toying with them? And then after I read some of the New Testament stuff, he was, he was testing to find out if their hearts had changed. This is years earlier, and he wanted to make sure these weren't the same creeps as they were. And when you hear their behind-the-scenes conversation, and he could hear it because he, he, he could understand Egyptian, but he could also understand the Hebrew. And he could understand what they were saying. Is they were saying to each other, what's going on? How could he line us all up in order? How, how does he know this? And, and Jacob, I mean, Joseph, plays it to the hilt. I have my divination cup. A man like me knows these kind of things. And they're like, wow, he's got the power. Well, yeah, I can understand Hebrew. You know, it's like, come on, it's, it's not magic by any means. But you can see they're talking, and they say, God is heaping in on this. Their guilt had been eating at them for all these years. So the fact that they did it was wrong, but the fact that they knew it was wrong, and it bothered them. And some of them, Reuben tried to do something, and so did Judah try to do it, but um, they, didn't, they didn't get to complete it. 
But I just thought it's really interesting. And then finally you have reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. And then the, the fun part is he gets to bring Jacob, his old dad, in. And can you imagine? I mean, he was just ecstatic. And I think he lives an extra... Um, was it 17 years or something? It's quite a while afterwards, and he gets to see Joseph's uh, kids, and he actually adop adopts them, Ephraim and Manasseh, so they get adopted in. That's something that a lot of people get confused on. There's 12 tribes, okay, but Levi is the priestly tribe, okay, so they, they're kind of separate, so sometimes they're not counted in for something like when they divvy up the land, the the priest had a certain area they had around the cities and the cities of refuge and things like that. You can read that. Uh, and then, but the, uh, um, I'm losing my thought again. Uh, uh, oh, but the, the 12 tribes, but some of them are, are knocked out. Dan is knocked out because of some of the things he did. He did the idol worship, the calves, the golden calves. He set up two of those in the northern kingdom which is Israel, and you got the southern kingdom is Judah, and that. And then Simon and uh, Levi are the ones that, remember, I, they were dispelled because of what they did at Shechem, and that. So it's just interesting how you reap what you sow. It, it comes about. Um, but then in, in uh, verse, uh, oh, he plays the trick on him, uh, Joseph does, with putting the, the, the cup in Benjamin's sack, and these, these poor brothers are just going out of their minds because they know their dad and they, they don't know what to do with themselves. And then finally, luckily, in the next chapter, 45, Joseph reveals himself and then he explains it's God's plan. But even when you go to the very end of the, the scripture, after uh, Jacob actually dies, the brothers are still worried. They're worried that Joseph is going to take advantage of them. And he doesn't. He isn't that kind of a person. And it just, it just shows you what guilt does to the, it's, it's really sad in this, that sense. Uh, and then 46, Joseph brings his family to Egypt and so on. So um, do you have any, any questions on any of that or anything else in Genesis we've, we've handled already? Maybe, maybe if I can answer. Yeah. It's not really a question, but um, you, you had the little map of mm -hmm. Abraham's root. Um, you know, when when I was studying this, I kind of looked it up back when we did the men's group, and uh, a geographic picture that I think is a little bit easier for us to understand. Uh, imagine, imagine your car is gone, right? Mm -hmm. So you got a long walk home tonight. You, you get home, God comes to you and He says, "Round up the sixty donkeys in your backyard," right? Go hit the come and go, grab some Pepsi's, lash it the donkeys. Mm -hmm. go, go get your computer, you know, tie that to a donkey too. And then I want you to go from Cheyenne to Albuquerque mm -hmm. by way of Grand Junction. Yeah. And that's literally what the trip was. Mm -hmm. It was a long journey. And he was going by faith. I mean, I don't think anybody, well, I don't know if anybody in this room, uh, God's ever asked us to do anything like that. But Abraham did. Obviously, God knew. knew uh, but Abraham wasn't perfect. Like I said, he didn't treat Sarah well and the sister thing. And, and so he, he did some things that were not good. And God used very imperfect vessels, which is encouraging to me because guess what? We don't have to be perfect. We just got to be available there. How about some other questions on, on Genesis? So you understand it all completely? 
I know I skipped a lot of stuff, and I, I really struggled this week trying to figure out what, what to throw out. And it's like, that's good, too. And, and I really uh, I like Mary's comment, because I, I, this is what I like about Genesis specifically, any of the Old Testament, really, where we continue on. As you read through it, put yourself in that position and see what those people are going through. And, and some of the people do great, good things, and you go, hey, I want to I wanna use that example. And then there's other people like, how dumb can you get? This is the third time they've done this. And it's like, don't talk about your sister. You know, it's like, and it's like some people just don't learn. But we're like that. And so. You know, you have to. Oh, Doreen. Oh, go ahead. Doreen and then John. You know, when, one of the major themes that carries through this is that when it says it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Right. Completely into goes, follows clear through the Old Testament into the new when we see Christ. And Paul comments on that, uh, uh, the uh, comments in Hebrew, mm -hmm. uh, in Hebrews uh, as well. Um, yeah, I think you'll see that in your homework. Abraham, great. Yeah. You know, that's where we can look at him and we can see that, you know, when, uh, in his obedience mm -hmm. and um, uh, to God's word and to his, you know, I mean, what, that's, you know, that's, that's the theme. Mm -hmm. That's why he's the man of faith, that he trusted God and he actually acted on it. He didn't just say, oh, I believe in God. He, he picked up everything and took off. Mike, I mean, could you please summarize what John said? We didn't hear him in the back. Uh, with the fact that, that let me see how, um, that all throughout the, Abraham's life, he trusted and he, by faith, he trusted in God. So he let God, he obeyed God. That's a big thing. His, he was obedient to God. He trusted in God and did what God said into the point where, like I said, he made a few things. Uh, the sister stuff was, wasn't a guy. Well, he shouldn't have gone to Egypt to begin with. So he messed up a few times. But he always came back to God. He knew where it, he, was, he was coming from. In other words, he knew who to go back to and the fact that he, he lived that way. And his obedience, I think, is the main thing John was saying. Doreen? Said in Genesis 15:6, Abraham believed God. Mm -hmm. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. Oh, that, okay. Yeah, that part right there, I did hear, and I, I couldn't hear the rest. But I think he's talking about just how that theme is that believing God, that being reckoned to him as righteousness, that's something that carries through the rest of Scripture. Mm -hmm. It becomes the pattern of all those who believe. That's a, that's mm -hmm. a really. Doreen? Well, it's kind of kind of along the same lines, I guess, when you said, you know, put ourselves in this in that position. I'm thinking Abraham had no idea who God was and God spoke to him. How did he did God instill faith in him? I mean, how did all that happen? Well you did notice God do that? did you notice God went to Abraham or Abram at the time? God sought out Abram. It's no different than us. Yeah. So, so God made Abraham have faith? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, I would say that, yeah. The, the, I think it's neat, though, that, that God sought after him. Now, 
I don't know what Abraham's life was before this. It was probably actually a good life. He was from a, you know, fairly well-off family in a great area. Like I said, everything was hunky-dory, except they were idol worshipers. I mean, maybe that wasn't fulfilling, but, and, and I don't know how God spoke to him. It doesn't say, it said God spoke to him several times. It says God appeared to him in visions, different times. So uh, I can't answer that. But whatever it is that uh, Abraham took it for real and, and, and counted that. I mean, that's what he relied on, the fact that this was God. And obviously, after a period of time walking with God, he could see what was really happening. But it, it took a lot of faith to do that. And God obviously sought him out to do that. So, yeah, his faith came by God. We're no different. So we think we are, but we're not. Yeah. Karen. Um, I have a little problem understanding Jacob. He seems presumptuous. <laughs> he wrestles with God. Uh -huh. I mean, and the whole thing up to that, he just doesn't seem like a very nice guy at all. Do you notice? And, the, and then he has a... This he's wrestling with God and holding on to him and saying, "What is your name?" <laughs> You're just he's by that point he's convinced he's wrestling with God, mm -hmm. and he, he, there's so, such a lack of reverence. It seems like it, I just don't get him. I think I maybe mean, we're reading that wrong. Yeah, I think we're we're reading that wrong. Don't get me wrong. Jacob starts out he's a, a conniver. Well, he gets that from his parents. I mean, I hate to say that, but. Uh, the deception stuff and, you know, with the brothers and, and that it's just, it's too bad, but uh, he was, and you notice God changed his name from Jacob, heel catcher to Israel. And I've heard different things governed by God, struggles with God, uh, controlled by God, you, whatever way you want to look at. It. And it, it's neat today that the land of Israel is named after Israel, not Jacob. Thank you. And you see in scripture as it goes along, God will refer to when he's acting more in the spiritual, the good Jacob, he's Israel. And when he's working in the flesh, he's, he's Jacob. You'll see that the back and forth. It's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. He, he's a very interesting character to say the least. He, he was not he, remember, he made the bargain with God. If you do this and you do this, all these, if you list my top ten things, then I'll, be your, your, I'll worship you. And you go, wow, that's not how God works. Okay. But that's the way he, he was doing it. No, he learned over time. And he, had, he walked with the limp because of that. And so, no, good question. That's good observation with Jacob. Because he, he, he definitely changes over the time. Where somebody like uh, Isaac doesn't really change. Joseph doesn't change whatsoever. Um, it's interesting when you see the different patriarchs, how some of them only had one wife, some of them had multiple, some of them had special. And that. John, you had another question? Well, <laughs> it's always intrigued me in Abraham as he met with the three beings. Mm -hmm. And he says, well, what if we find 50? Oh, they're bargaining. Yeah. And then he goes, what if, how about 40? How about 35? Finally, he gets down to, what, 10. <coughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, and, he, and God each time responds and said, if I find 10 branches, then, then I will, I'll not destroy the city. Obviously, there were ten there. Right. But uh, uh, how Abraham bargained, basically. Pretty gutsy, with, huh? With God, you know. 
that, that, that has always intrigued me as to, you know, the, um, how we, and you see God changed, I don't even know if he changed, but he knew where Abraham was going to end up because he well, knows everything. He, he, knew, he knew there was less than yeah. 10, right. And uh, that, that's always been interesting to me. So God was merciful to let him go through the process. Why is that in scripture? I think it's there because God was teaching him something about God. He will be the just God, no matter how many. Now, now think of Abraham, okay? So he had Lot and his wife, so that's two. Then he had his two daughters, so that's four. And they were actually engaged. They weren't probably married, but they, I think they were engaged. So they had two more, so there's six. So all he needs is four other people. And they're out home free, right? And then he can save Lot and his family. Didn't happen. Now God, you're right. John's exactly right. He said God knew ahead of time, but he let Abraham increment it down because Abraham's point was God will do what is just. And notice Abraham didn't quibble after he got to 10. And it's, it's, it's really kind of sad. But here again, that's when you read Genesis or any of the Old Testament or any of the Bible. Think of it from God's perspective. What's God revealing about himself? He, he, he's not changing his mind. He did that for Abraham's lesson to help him understand that he is a just God. And that should tell us something, you know, about, about judgment and that. Tell so. us about his mercy. Yes, yes. And he got Lot out of there. And unfortunately, his, his, he lost his family. What did, what did Lot end up with? Nothing. He lost his family, his wife, his daughters. I mean, his daughter, that, that gets into a messy area there, too. And those, were, those became the Ammonites and the Moabites. And those are ones that were constantly enemies with Israel. Okay, well, do you see what, when you, once you mess up, it, it kind of goes down your lineage. I can speak that personally in our family. And I don't mean immediate family, but I mean just in general, you see where the parents do something or the grandparents do something and then the parents do it and then the kids, and finally you see we're, we're just like them. You know, we're just like in the Old Testament. We, we just don't learn, you know. I think it's even further reaching than that because, you know, you've got the war between Ishmael and they said he mm -hmm. was a wild donkey of a man. You're right. Always fighting with his brothers. We're cutting their heads off over there. Every it's day, that way you know? today. And they're still warring against Isaac. So you've got the Arab nations and the Jews thousands of years later, and they mm -hmm. are still duking it out. And the Arabs came through Keturah. Yeah. That was uh, the later wife of uh, uh, um, uh, Abraham. Abraham, yeah. yeah. That was after he was 100 and some years old. So, And he had six sons. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that? So. Does that help to diagram the genealogy? Mm -hmm. I hope it, it helped me. Like I said, I had to work the hard way the first time, but I, I really found I would recommend, I, I don't mean redo that, but when you see other parts of scripture, like if, if we're going into uh, Leviticus or any of that, and you see like the temple, I would actually say, okay, diagram it. Figure out what it says, and it's not that hard, but sometimes you draw it out on paper, all of a sudden you, you'll learn a lot more than you think you'd, you knew to begin with. So it isn't that hard, and, and when you see the relationships here, how close they were with cousins and that, it's uh, really pretty amazing. Okay. Leah. I just have a thought, um, I just kind of obvious, but as I was um, kind of getting an overview of the, all the um, different stories, it seems like the bigger um, God's purpose in um, doing what he does in a person's life, 
the less likely they are to understand what it is. Um, and I just thought that was kind of an encouraging um, thought because we can be so troubled by things that we don't understand, but sometimes that just means that it's it's much, much larger than us, and we may go our whole lifetimes not knowing mm -hmm. what it is. Look, look at Joseph. His whole life was that way. You know, the sovereignty of God was written. You know, he wore a sweatshirt. that says, so I believe in the sovereignty. And he, his attitude didn't change, which I, I'm totally amazed. He's one of the most unique characters. And he, like I said, he's kind of a type of Christ. You look at what he went through and what Christ. There's a lot of that foreshadowing. Every, every chapter, there's something about Jesus in there. We, we may have to dig a little to get it. But, yeah, Christy. Well, just along that same line, Abraham never saw, he never understood, I mean, he didn't understand the scope of what God was telling him in, in his promises about Jesus. Um, and he never saw, he never understood that, but the Lord was, the Lord was teaching him to identify with him, mm -hmm. with his heart and with who he is and to love who he is by how, what he took him through in his life. And he was looking to the future because he wasn't just thinking of a kingdom here in the tents and stuff. He was looking to a heavenly king. That's what it says in Hebrews. So it helps us to realize that, that Abraham probably didn't know, he, did, he didn't know the lineage all the way down to the Messiah, no. Uh, but, but, but it's right in there, the first uh, few verses of chapter 12. You know, he, was, he would bless them, make his name great, a blessing to them, and that all nations would, all families would be blessed through the Messiah. No, he, he may not have understand that, stood that, but he, he had faith and trusted in God, yeah. It, I can't imagine what it would have been like to, to be Abraham and spoke, speaking with God or with Moses. I mean, like, wow. I mean, it's like I, I see Scripture and it comes alive to me, but I, you know, to actually, oh, what did you say? <laughs> it's like, whoa, get your attention. And then you guys, guys like Jacob, they're, they're wrestling with God. Although I've heard it different ways that God was holding on to him until he would give up. So um, that we can go back and forth on that. That's a, there's a lot of neat stuff in there. That's the last question. Okay, well, thank you. You've been very attentive. <laughs> Appreciate it. Let's, let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you again just for your word for your examples in history, these, these real lives, these real people that uh, were blessed by God, that uh, were used by God. And help us to be a people like that, to look to you, Lord, for guidance, for direction, for comfort, and uh, for anything we need, Lord, because you're there. And we just thank you for all the blessings you've given us, especially your word. In Jesus' name, amen.